Hello and welcome. You are listening to Gay with God, a safe place for us to share our stories and support one another. How long did we know? What challenges did we face? Did we lose our faith? When did we find our way back home? Are we still searching? The stories you hear in this podcast will melt your heart and can strengthen your belief that in God, all things are possible. And you can be authentically gay with God. I am your host, Midge Noble, and I am very honored that you are here. Hey guys, did you know that I created my own business? It's called Empowering Awakened Hearts, LLC. I specialize in guiding our LGBTQ plus community on your coming out and faith journey stories. It's important to me that you be able to live your authentic life and to get through this journey as painlessly as possible. So check out my Facebook page, Empowering Awakened Hearts, LLC, or you can check out my website at empoweringawakenedhearts.com to book an appointment with me. You deserve to live your authentic life. Welcome back to Gay with God. And I regret to inform you that today's guest had to cancel their taping. So I decided that it is my turn to tell my faith journey story. I also decided that I would take you through segments of my life. So grab a warm cup or a cold cup of something and a snack and settle in for my story, starting with the early years. I was born a cisgender female, which basically just means that I was born female and I am still female. And I didn't know growing up that there were were any other possibilities or that there could be in some year down the road, other possibilities other than what gender I was born into. My family operated on the age-old belief that a man marries a woman, the man works, the woman stays home, and the kids grow up to live near them to take care of them later. My family always struggled with money, and I didn't have many social outlets because of that. I can remember one time that we would would we didn't have any money hardly at all at the end of the month after daddy got paid and so we had to go on the strict strict no spending thing and i suggested that we just eat tomato soup every night of the week and have spaghetti on sundays because that was the cheapest thing you could get in those days and my mom bless her heart was so desperate that she went along with my half baked plan <laughs> and we made it to the end of the month before daddy got paid again. So we didn't have very many social outlets. I went to school, came home, went to church. Sometimes I did things with the youth group or stayed in a nursery when my mom went bowling a few times, or we would have birthdays with cousins and holidays with the extended family, and sometimes go to Illinois to see mama's side of the family so that my dad could work for my maternal grandfather when he had summers off from school where he taught. They didn't have those extended paychecks then where you could get paid throughout the summer. And so every summer he had to find something else to do other than teach school to make ends meet in our family. I never even knew about homosexuality in, until our youth group had a class one night and equated homosexuality 
with having sex with animals. Now, I did not know at the time that I was gay. And even if I could have figured it out earlier than I did that I was gay, that would have stopped it right then. (laughs) That was a very uncomfortable um, group meeting that we had that night. And I will never forget that. As I said, that my dad worked in a school system. He worked long days as a science teacher. He also coached many different sports. He was a brilliant athlete and he did really, really well at basketball. Uh, Once in high school, he scored like 50 points by himself. Um, I really think he could have been professional if he hadn't um, gone into the Navy. And when he came out, he went directly into college and met my mom and they started a family. So um, he was gifted enough to be a professional athlete, I believe. And he just never took that chance. Um, But he was a science teacher and a coach and he would coach basketball was his best sport, I think, but he was also a pitcher and, and got a state award. And he also, uh, so he pitched, he coached softball, uh, baseball, and he also coached track and football. So he was always doing something around sports and, and he, he loved sports. Um, he was often gone before I woke up because he had early days traveling to a school that was more than 45 minutes away from our home. So I would be in bed often before he got home because he could maybe have an away game that night or he had late practices after school. And so there could be a few days depending on his schedule where he would, I would not even see him. Um, when he was home, he mowed, he did the house repairs, he watched sports and news on television. Um, and you know, that was just his role. Mama's role was the traditional mom and housewife. She did all the cooking, cleaning with the begrudging help of myself, (laughs) older sister and brother, when he was old enough to do stuff. Um, she loved her soap operas and still does. Heaven help us all when her shows are preempted due to weather, a national crisis, or news reports. She gets very frustrated when she can't watch her shows, and she also likes just, you know, watching movies on on some of those channels. Um, she loves her she loves her television. My daddy loved his sports, and my mama loves her soap operas. So my sister is thirteen months older than I am, and my brother is five years younger than me. My sister and I would play Barbies, you know, because that's what girls did. Uh, We'd ride our bikes and we hung out with some of the neighborhood kids. And when our brother came along, uh, we had asked for a girl, by the way, um, and we were not as kind and loving as I wish we had been to him. He's an amazing man, an amazing father, um, and and he was a really cool kid, very funny and was always quirky. Um, But I had received the message early on that I was not as worthy as a male child would be if mama had a boy this time when she was pregnant. So the messages from my dad throughout my mom's pregnancy were, well, we tried twice to get it right. And this time we hope it's a boy. And if it's a boy, not a boy this time, I might have to kill myself. Now, you can just imagine that I was like around four when mama was pregnant and um, and I I internalized that apparently, I mean, big time. And the message was that I'm a girl and I'm not going to ever be as worthy 
as a boy. Now, my my little years did not have those that language or those words, but apparently I internalized that. The night my brother was born, my grandfather told us mommy was going to bring a baby home. And my little kid voice popped up and said, is it a boy? My grandfather smiled and said, yes, Midgey, it is a boy. And I said, thank God. Now daddy won't have to kill himself. You can imagine everybody got quiet. And of course, you know, it was just my grandfather and my my mom all there, but they were quiet. And I think, I can't remember if my dad was there too. He might've also come home uh, with my grandfather, but I'm not, I don't remember him being there, but everybody got quiet and they were surprised that, that I had been listening. I followed up that question with asking my preacher grandfather, well, who made God? My grandfather sent me to bed. I'm still waiting for that answer to that question. You just didn't change things. And I always felt different from everyone else. I didn't like the same things the other girls did. I didn't start my period on time. That's another whole thing. I didn't have crushes on boys in school. Uh, I did kiss a boy once behind the coat closet in first grade. I hated it. I didn't understand what was wrong with me, and I knew that that I was just different. I, I couldn't figure out what it was, but I knew I was different. And when all the other girls were swooning, you know, over boys and stuff, I just thought it was gross. And I and the male anatomy, boy, when we, I mean, my mama would talk to me about it and tell me that you know this is you know this is going to happen to me and this is what happens to boys and and I'm like no, ick, I don't want that. I don't want that. And she's well, you'll feel different when you get married. Uh, I just knew I wouldn't. <laughs> I couldn't imagine marrying a boy that had parts different from me. It made me sick to my stomach to think about it. And I just, I just felt different. And with my grandfather's influence in the family, you know, it was difficult too. Um, And I'll talk about that a little bit later, but I just couldn't figure out what was wrong with me. Throughout my elementary and middle school years, I really struggled to feel worthy. I would go down to the altar consistently crying and praying for God to make me okay. It was such a t- it was such a painful time because I saw all these other people with their little smiling faces in church. And, you know, I know people make stuff up and everything, but, you know, they seemed so serene and they seemed so connected to God and they seemed so in love with their their religion. And I just couldn't understand why I had something wrong with me. But I came up with a scheme and I figured this scheme would completely make me worthy in God's sight. I thought that if I served God in a big way, then surely I would, I would earn the right to go to heaven. And that's how it started with me, that I would do something really big in my life for God. And then, you know, if you're working for God and if you're doing it for God, surely you'll go to heaven. So I thought about many careers while growing up before I had this big scheme, I I wanted to be a writer you know, I thought about being a teacher. I thought about being a nun. And I was quickly told by my grandfather that Catholics are all going to hell and I was not allowed to be a nun. 
He even tried to rip a necklace off my neck once because it had a little diamond in the middle of the cross. And I think my grandfather thought for a moment that it was a crucifix. And my dad stopped him just in time before my papa, you know, I mean, literally, he had his hand on my, my necklace and was getting ready to rip it off. And my dad stopped him. And um, so then when my grandfather found out what it was, he demanded that I not wear that anymore because nothing is allowed on the cross because Jesus has risen. Papa was also the type of um, influence in that when he was when he came to our house, like for Sunday dinner or some kind of dinner, we would all pray. We all sat at the table and we all prayed which is not how things went when I was, you know, in the early years, we would eat at the kitchen table with mama mostly. And daddy was in the other room watching television and eating his dinner off of a TV tray. Uh, when Papa was there, we didn't play cards. We didn't dance. We didn't have any kind of pop culture music on, and we didn't listen to that a lot, but um, you know, none of that. So there was no cards, no dancing, no drinking, and everybody had to be in church on Sunday. And if you were not on church on Sunday, you would always get a phone call from Papa asking who's dead or who's in the hospital because there had to be some reason why you were not in church. And we often went to Papa's church when he preached in a church that was in our our vicinity. Sometimes he was too far away and we couldn't go every Sunday to his church. But when he was local in Hickory, where I grew up, and he preached there, we were always at Papa's church. And, um, and then sometimes when he was, you know, 30 or 40 minutes away, we would go there as often as we could. So he had a huge influence on our family. Uh, but it also kind of showed me how, um, how things are not always truthful. And that sometimes we are hypocrites in that we look like we're behaving one way out of respect for somebody's beliefs, but we're really not that way. So there's that thin line of respecting someone else, but but not being authentic for me. I mean, you know, and it took us forever. We were not allowed to date until we were 16. And then we weren't allowed to go to movies because Papa didn't believe in movies. But my father finally convinced my grandfather that being in the car or in a movie theater uh, was safer than having a date just in a car somewhere. Now, Papa's, you know, suggestion was they need to date at, at the house where you can watch them. <laughs> but somehow my dad won that battle and we were able to go to G rated movies, you know, at the age of 16, when we started dating. Uh, and my first date, by the way, was a um, date, a double date. My sister had a guy, she was, dating and they found me a guy to go with on this double date with them and he was a manure farmer <laughs> and taught me things in the backseat of that car at the drive-in movie theater that I still don't understand to this day and it's not because I'm gay it's because I just thought it was weird and we won't go into that here but um suffice it to say uh, none of these things made me gay by the way not the way my family raised me not the way my grandfather preached and not because I didn't like uh, what happened in the backseat of that car I had already been convinced early on <laughs> that I didn't need any of that uh, from male attention um, so no people we don't because become gay because we have a bad relationship or because we've you know been abused um all of those things may happen in our lives but that does not turn us gay we are gay because we were born this way so anyway so um so 
with with my grandfather's influence and my scheme of, you know, doing something big for God so that I could go to heaven, I also considered being a missionary because, you know, walking the dusty roads of Damascus in devotion and service to God is surely a good and Christian thing to do. And I would be in as counted in heaven. So when I came up with that idea, um, I was about the, the age of 12 and, and I was expected to be baptized around that age. So I was, I was baptized. And then I knew that, you know, at some point after high school, I would go to college and I would get some kind of degree to let me do uh, missionary work. I learned later that that would be the, you know, that not all ministry was open to me because I was female. And I learned that the women in our denomination did not serve as ministers. And if I did serve, I I would be a missionary or I would volunteer to be a youth leader uh, or serve with my husband uh, in the church that he pastored by maybe running women's groups, working in the nursery or doing, you know, maybe youth ministry work in that way. So when I did finally go to college and that's going to be in the later years, but, um, when I did go to college, um, I was going to study mission work and they said what I really are youth ministry. And they said, well, what you really need to do is get a teaching degree because you need to be able to support yourself. Um, if you're not, I mean, you need to support yourself if you're not married. And if you are married, you, you need to probably get, you know, the BA in theology and you could still have a teaching degree if you, you needed to work outside of the house. So there was still no position in the church that I could get paid to do in order to minister for God. Um, and so I did get a teaching degree, um, which did serve me not as a teacher, but in, in the school system later later on. So I did, I did what I had to do. And I, and I also, um, and I'll, I'll talk about this in another podcast. I I went to India, um, to still test that calling, uh, to see if I really was supposed to do missionary work. Um, so I, I knew that I probably was not going to be married by the time I left college and, um, did not plan to do that. So, um, so I did get that teaching degree. I still didn't know that I was gay. And, you know, in the early years, I didn't know. I went all the way through elementary school and middle school, even into high school. No clue. No clue that I was gay. Now, there were signs besides the great sign of me absolutely having a visceral reaction to the idea of male parts. um, I had a very uh, deep relationship with a girl in seventh grade. Now. It was very benign, uh, but on an emotional level, I was so deeply connected to this girl. I'm sure that she was probably my first known crush. And um, my mom was real concerned about that. She allowed her to come to a slumber party I had once for a birthday. um, And but I was never allowed to go to her house. And when that friendship ended abruptly, my mom said, well, that is for the best. Your relationship with her was sick. I asked her for some clarification about that. And she gave the answer, well, you were just too close to her and it wasn't normal. So I realized that, you know, I wasn't worthy because I was 
female and not male. There was something clearly wrong with me. And for some reason, I just didn't feel like I was worthy for God either. And that somehow I had been, you know, I I was like some kind of (laughs) an abnormality just in general. And at the age of 13, I was in the backseat of the car and our family was going somewhere and we were at a stoplight and, and I was being really quiet. And my dad asked, you know, me, what was wrong with me? And I said, I I think I'm depressed. And daddy said, no, you're not. We are the nobles and we don't have problems like that. And what daddy was referring to is my grandfather's position in the church. And he, you know, not only was he a minister, but he was on, you know, the board of, of directors and, and he was very high up in the denomination, um, that we, we were in and, and our role was never to make the family look bad because people would, we would reflect on my papa and we couldn't, you know, we just didn't have problems and you didn't talk about them and you certainly didn't get help for them. And, um, I would struggle for a long time after that. I didn't, uh, date throughout high school and, as I said before, and a, and a guy that liked my sister agreed to take me to my junior prom, um, probably to see her before we took off. But um, and then I chose to go with my friends from school to my senior prom and hang out after one of their at one of their homes. Um, I knew I was different, and I had a clear message that it was not okay. Um, and if I could ever figure out what the real problem was with me that would probably be the one thing that would send everybody over the edge. I just was convinced that, you know, if we ever figured out what was wrong with me, something bad was going to happen about that too. Um, I grew up pudgy. I was always put on a diet or expected to follow exercise routines that my mom was doing at the time. She was always, you know, negative about her appearance. And so I knew that was important. You had to look a certain way. You know, my sister was like super twiggy thin and I was not. So there were always discussions about, you know, how thin she was and how I wasn't. And uh, it was just always a struggle. Um, I always had the message that I just was never good enough. Well, you wrote this story and that's good, but, um, well, you're, you know, you look this way, but, you know, if you'd lose a few pounds, you'd look even better. So, um, I don't believe that my parents meant to do any of this. I know that they loved me the best. They knew how to love me and, And even though I know that and I have resolved a lot of things from my past, it doesn't make that pain go away of feeling so unworthy throughout those early years and beyond. And it and it doesn't take away how I internalized it and having to untangle and unwind all of that and to to be able to really feel worthy. Your head can know it but your heart doesn't always feel it. Your soul doesn't always connect to it. Even though your soul knows it, we all, we often don't connect it in, in the soul. Um, so, so we can, we can give forgiveness and I can give forgiveness to my family. I still have to unpack and I still have to manage the fallout from all of that because the ways I learned to cope with it were, were as unhealthy as the feeling of not feeling worthy. I learned to fake happiness. 
I would always be the life of whatever party I went to, you know, not in my early years, I didn't go to very many parties, but, um, you know, even throughout my life as an adult, I would fake happiness, um, tell people I was fine. I would do anything I could to make other people happy. And in our family, my brother and I kind of had that role of like comics and, and comedians and, and making everything light or breaking the, the tension if something went wrong. Um, so that always trying to get someone to, to feel better. And I also was always trying to make people like me. I really felt that unworthy that I, I would do anything for them so that they might then like me. Cause I, I still believe that service to others is what made people like you, that, that I didn't have any merits of my own, that I had to be doing something for someone else to, to be okay. Um, so I was always striving, I think, to make teachers and parents and group leaders like, like me by being their, you know, their, I guess they used to call it teacher's pets, but, um, you know, to, to serve them. And um, not surprisingly, in high school, I was voted most dependable and in the senior su superlatives. And, and that was an honor back then because that stroked that lack of ego that I had. It was like, oh, whew, I, I am most something. And dependable was really good for me. I, I liked that term because it meant that people could depend on me. So I must have been doing my job of, of serving them. I still couldn't understand that all of that was just totally unhealthy. It's okay to be dependable, but not because you're, you're doing dependable things because of a lack of worthiness. So I, I've had to unpack so many things um, throughout my lifetime of, of how I integrated the 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 words and the statements and the actions of of those that I lived with um, in the later years and this will you know <laughs> all of these things that I did to to make everybody happy and to to make me worthy and and to get to heaven all that's going to crash down around me just so you know in the in other segments of this story <laughs> it didn't really work out that great so if you're doing that now. <laughs> Um, there, there are ways to find your worthiness. Um, there are ways to claim your worthiness. And I think that's, that's why I did open up the business because, um, when, when our, uh, the business we were working at, and I, I say we, because my wife now, and I worked at the same place and that, that business closed, uh, right before the pandemic. And, um, we needed to do something else. And I just still felt, I wasn't done serving in this capacity of, of being a counselor of what I was doing. And so I created um, the Empowering Awakened Hearts LLC so that I could serve others um, and not in an unhealthy way, uh, but in a way that was meaningful to me. And always, even though not all of my clients are gay, I always went, wanted to serve our community um, when I opened up the business, that was my first intention. And I do accept other clients other than gay people, but, um, but it is my, my, my gift back to our community, I think, to, to lead those seeking um, their worthiness, for those seeking their faith journey, seeking their relationship with God and, and being able to come out in a healthier way. Um, that, is, that is my desire to serve. So um, 
So those that's a that's a nutshell of my early years. Of course, that's not the whole story, but but I am considering writing my whole story down um, in a book. Um, so be looking out for that in the next few years. <laughs> it may happen, and um, and I'll be glad to tell the whole story. Um, so with with these discussions there will be some more great stories coming up in the next few weeks of people that I already have booked for the show and I can't wait to tell their stories and to listen to their stories and then from time to time I'll do another uh, little segment of my own coming out journey and um, how that happened and how my faith was affected so as you can imagine in the early years my faith was really not faith it was religious um, fearful integration. <laughs> I was scared to death not to be um, in a relationship with God. I felt like if I didn't have a relationship with God, I would surely go to hell. And that um, the things I chose to do and the path I chose to take early on was all out of fear and trying to get myself to heaven. I don't think that makes it any less important. Um, I think it's sad that it started that way. And it did impact and complicate my faith journey from that point forward, because then the doubt set in that, well, maybe I was never really, you know, Christian. Maybe I was never really meant to have a relationship with God. And, oh, my God, now I figured out that I'm gay. So in the coming segments of the story with me, you'll see that, you know, early on, it was out of desperation and fear. And then you know, I just kept being pulled back into my desire and my birthright to have a relationship with God and to actually be gay with God instead of petrified with God. So I hope you continue to, to keep sharing these podcasts. And if you hang on uh, a little bit after this segment, um, I will tell you how you can also be uh, a part of the Gay With God community. So hang on for that. And I'll see you next week. I want to invite you to become a part of the Gay With God community. How can you do that? Stay connected by messaging me your thoughts and comments in the comment section under the downloads of the show on the Gay With God show page. Subscribe to this podcast wherever you listen and share, share, share so we can increase our community outreach and be a light to those who are struggling to claim their faith. Consider being a sponsor so I can highlight your service in our community. We are all worthy of respect and a relationship with the God of our understanding. I want to thank you in advance for supporting this podcast. Together, we as a community will keep this show visible and our community stronger. Deep gratitude to my friend Tim McClendon of Tim McClendon Music for allowing me to use an excerpt from Interlude 4 a song found on his CD entitled Sundance.